You're listening to episode 410 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hey, Max, how are we? Doing well, David, doing well. We got a, I, I think it would, I would call it a light news week. It must be the end of the summer where, but, but we have some interesting stories tonight. We've got a Chinese submarine that can fly, and it's not yellow. A ghost fleet of unmanned surface vessels transferring drone technology to India, a portable air traffic management system for wildfires, woman in drones documentary, Ford patents a sanitizing drone, increased mapping speed with multiple drones. So I think with that, let's get started. Well, our first story comes from um, EurasianTimes.com. Flying submarines, China's testing sub-drone that can fly and float, goes one up on U.S. Navy's submersible aircraft concept. So Nanchang University has invented the flying submarine. And apparently they've tested a prototype of uh, this submarine drone that can fly in the air and fly underwater as well. So it's got two large wings that fold back when it glides underwater. Kind of looks like a torpedo or like a cruise missile that has its wings folded up. You know, if you know what a, cru- what a cruise missile looks like. There are four propellers and the front two can tilt. So it's a tilt rotor. It also can approach underwater targets slowly and linger on location for long durations. As for its performance in the air, it can fly at, they say, 120 kilometers per hour, and also that it consumes little energy when cruising in fixed-wing mode. So China views these transmedia vessels as one of the cheapest and most cost-effective means of destroying the defense system of an aircraft carrier fleet. According to uh, Xi Wanfang, a professor with Naval Aviation University at Yantai, uh, Shandong province. This is another one of those Chinese carrier killers, um, but it is an interesting concept. But part of this article, um, and you should definitely check it out in the show notes, talks about what the U.S. Navy had come up with as far as a flying sub, and it kind of looks like if you ever saw the 60s television show with the sea view, it's a flying sub. Yeah, and I think the, the U.S., view of the mission for these things is somewhat different than the view that the Chinese are taking in this case. I think more of the point, it's a, you know, an observation vehicle rather than a, um, a guided missile or, or a multimedium missile. So the Navy's um, prospect, I think they've sort of shelved, but it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm waiting for somebody else in the civilian market. I, I mean, Elon Musk must know about this and want to make one for <laughs> for everybody to have their own flying sub. It sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, that's kind of the dream in in some respects, David. You know, something that can fly in the air, fly underwater, go anywhere. When you want to be undetected, you can, you know, submerge and, and fly under the water. Yeah, as, as a, um, a vehicle for attacking an aircraft carrier fleet, um, it's... That's kind of scary, but who knows? Maybe the United States military has also got something that is along these lines, and we just don't know about it. Yep. 
But let's talk more about the U.S. military. It's kind of a military kind of show this week. Uh, this was from the press office of the Navy.mil. Unvanned surface vessels Seahawk, Sea Hunter, and Ranger and Nomad participated in RIMPAC 2022 training event. Um, RIMPAC is a large multi-nation strategic naval exercise, usually takes place off of Hawaii, that has the objective of getting allies to work together um, to facilitate the protection of a near peer. You can say, you can use the word China in the Pacific. Um, this was the first time that RIMPAC actually integrated uh, remotely piloted sea vehicles. These are pretty impressive looking uh, ships, David. We, we see a picture of one of them in this article. The Seahawk and Sea Hunter are 130 feet long. They have the central hull and two outriggers. And then the Ranger and the Nomad are, are a bit different. They're uh, longer anyway, 200 feet long, 35 feet wide. They have a large cargo deck in the back. But uh, being um, uncrewed vessels, I think it's kind of uh, um, sound. It sounds great that they call this, or it's known as the Ghost Fleet. One of the things in RIMPAC every year that this exercise takes place is you get to see a photograph of basically all of the ships in the fleet sailing together. You, you get one of those power projection photographs. Well, in this year, um, besides all of the American carriers and, and the foreign destroyers and the Japanese aircraft carrier, up in the top corner were a series of vessels chugging along and they were all uncrewed. And these are not little ships. We're so used to UASs being on the smaller size, but these are fairly decent seagoing vessels. It was kind of cool, and they are interesting and unique, and clearly the Navy is moving forward with this technology. And I wasn't really aware of the scope of this RIMPAC event, uh, but it's noted here that there were 26 nations involved which is, uh, I mean, that, that's a lot of coordination going on across different, different navies. But across those 26 nations, 38 ships, three submarines, more than 170 aircraft, and 25,000 personnel. So this is a, a, a big exercise, a big training exercise. I don't know how long these unmanned, uncrewed ships have been participating in that, or if we'll expect to see more of them in the future. Do you know much about the mission of of these particular ships, David? The Navy hasn't really disclosed what their missions are, but um, this was the first real, in RIMPAC, this was the first real integration of these ships with um, manned vessels. I have a feeling that going forward, we'll see even more every year. There's a RIMPAC exercise. And what you'll probably start seeing is Australia and Japan also using their uh, drone ships to be integrated into um, a large exercise like this. So the technology is being spread. You know, India, all of the um, Indo-Pacific nations that participated in this have a vested interest on how to work with these unmanned vehicles and 
the use of the technology because they're going to follow up with their own unmanned fleets. So the ghost fleet will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And speaking of India. Yeah, I put this in here because this is one of your favorite subjects, Max. It is. Technology transfer. (laughs) You know, next to fuel cells, I think this is one of your top favorite subjects. The U.S. offers a TOT to build hail drones in India. They're looking to let the let 30 Predator MQ9s series be built in India. And with that comes the technology transfer. You want to talk about that? Yeah, it does. And first I'll mention that it's a it's a big sale if it goes through. It's valued at almost $3 billion, a little bit under. And that includes not only the aircraft, but also spares and ground control stations. But this is a government-to-government deal if it goes through. It's an FMS deal, uh, foreign military sales, which is a very specific kind of deal. And under this, uh, reportedly, the United States is offering India what's called TOT, transfer of technology. And so, as you said, David, uh, this would uh, allow India to have a part in in the design and and building of the aircraft, uh, which would give them some technology that they may not have currently. Now, of course, India wants to develop an indigenous drone capability. Uh, They've been working to develop an indigenous uh, fighter jet capability uh, for many, many, many years uh, and have sort of struggled with that. But they're also looking to uh, do the same with drones. And and interestingly enough, India is always... One of the countries that when they purchase military hardware, they do want a transfer of technology, both via the um, dealing with the Russians or the United States. They always have been trying to grow their indigenous uh, military technology programs. So now the MQ-9 is slowly going away in the United States, so we're not transferring over top-of-the-line technology, but it it will be a leg up for India, which really doesn't currently have a advanced UAV program. Now, I understand that previously, uh, India had uh, two MQ-9 drones that they'd leased from General Atomics and had um, used those a, a few years ago when uh, Indian and Chinese forces clashed. That was back in 2020. And they deployed those MQ-9s in in both land and maritime operations, operating alongside a P-8. Yeah, the P-8, um, of course, is the anti-submarine uh, maritime patrol aircraft based on the 737. The P-8I is the Indian version. They were one of the first purchasers of the aircraft. And the P-8 does have a have a way to integrate with maritime surveillance drones. Um, specifically in the United States, they work with the Global Hawk or the Maritime Hawk to provide even more surveillance over a greater distance. So they are networked in. So these these predators will be can be an armed asset for the P-8, for the Maritime Strike, or could be just an extra set of eyes. So... It'll be interesting to see where India goes with this and what kind of indigenous product comes out of it because that area, China, Iran, is highly in- integrated with UASs. 
And India is right now very much in focus because of the Indian Ocean and China. So um, the United States is trying to bring India into the fold on a global point to act as a uh, counterforce to China on another front besides the uh, Pacific Ocean. So this is from stpetecatalyst.com. NASA backs drone company that tracks wildfires. NASA seems to be throwing a lot of money around on a lot of these UAS programs all of a sudden. Yeah, although this one is not that expensive, a little under a million dollars. But uh, this involves Florida-based Improving Aviation. That's the, number, uh, the name of the company, Improving Aviation. And they've been awarded a grant from NASA to develop SkyTL, which is a portable air traffic management system. Now you think, well, portable. Why portable? Well, wildfires pop up here, pop up there. And we've talked many times, of course, David, about the role that UAVs can play in a wildfire-type situation. And so being able to establish a little, well, I'll call it a little mini air traffic management system around that wildfire, that, that has a lot of value. Yeah, and keep in mind that an air traffic management system also involves air traffic besides UASs. And one of the biggest things, if, you know, we, we have spent the last couple of years during wildfire seasons talking about if you fly, we can't, meaning that the fire bombers and all of the other aviation assets that are used to counter wildfires, um, this is, I mean, this is an important aspect that you can integrate the UASs into that airspace and keep in touch with all of the um, the manned assets that are helping fight the fire. So it definitely is um, a interesting thing. And it also means that it takes some of the pressure off of um, a more wider area if you have a localized airspace being managed by this system. Another aspect of SkyTL is that it would, or the, the drones would collect atmospheric measurements of the wildfire canopy, they call it, and in real time predict the spread of the fire, which of course is uh, very useful if that's, if that's what you're operating with. The company Improving Aviation says the challenge right now is that there isn't great communication between the drones and emergency responders due to limited service in remote areas, and they don't have access to real-time data. And we want to change that, the company says. It's a automated firebase. Um, the Phase 1 grant was $900,000, and Improved Aviation will be able to seek a Phase 2 grant. Um, you know, And this kind of funding, it may seem small in, in the scale of things, but for a company like this, $900,000 as a grant is a large influx of cash. The company is partnering with the College of Engineering and the College of Aviation at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. So there's some heft there besides the, this small startup. And Improving Aviation is a graduate of the Tampa Bay Waves 2021 Tech Women Rising Accelerator. They're also a recipient of the NASA Small Business Innovation Research Phase 1 grant. It's a small company, very very small. But as you mentioned, David, partnering with, with Embry-Riddle, of course, will allow them to draw in a lot of uh, resources to help support this. And since they were a 
part of the Tech Women Rising Accelerator. Let's talk about Women in Drones documentary is filming on site at the Commercial UAV Expo. Um, Women in Drones and Monumental Access are creating a documentary about women in the drone industry. This is a cool. This is a cool thing. I like this, Mac. Yeah, I know. I when when I saw this too, I thought this is this is great. Uh, they're really hoping that they can inspire the next generation of aviation leaders through this documentary. In this film, I guess there are interviews with educators, with company CEOs, other industry professionals. And this is uh, taking the next step at the Commercial UAV Expo, which is September 6th through 8, 2022, in Las Vegas. So that's coming up really, really fast. We've mentioned that on the on the show a couple times um, and have been promoting it. There's a banner on our website at the UAVdigest.com. So if you want to quickly get uh, to some more information about the Commercial UAV Expo, you can click that banner. Uh, but the expo is an official filming location for the documentary. But this isn't the first part of it. They've they've actually started some filming previously. Uh, the disaster response workshop in Texas A and M in May was, and the robo- robotics assisted search and rescue um, were already part of the filming. So um, I can't wait to see what comes of this. Um, I want to make it a goal kind of to reach out to the the producers and stuff so we can find out a little bit more about this project because, you know, Max and I are always very pro women in aviation and women in, and women in drones. So this is this is kind of a cool thing. We're looking forward to seeing the product. Absolutely. So Ford patent filed for unmanned aerial vehicle sanitation system. I saw a joke the other day that had a picture of why Chevy... Ne- Chevy never built an airplane, which would have a picture of a Ford tri-motor, which was a slam against Chevy. But evidently, Ford is looking at sanitation systems via unmanned aerial vehicles. Interesting concept coming from an automotive aspect. Yeah, this is... I'm not sure what I think about this, but in any event, the patent describes a vehicle... Oh, come on, use your patent disclaimer. I know. Well, yeah, the, the, the disclaimer is just because you have a patent doesn't mean that it will ever get built. Let me say what it is, and then I'll, then I'll give my, uh, my personal opinion on this. So you have a vehicle that needs to be sanitized. What kind of a vehicle needs to be sanitized? Well, maybe like a rideshare vehicle, like an Uber or something like that. Your passengers disgorge, and you need to have the... Uh, the car sanitized. So in this scenario, the the car, the dirty car sends a wireless signal to an aerial sanitizing machine, drone, something. And then this sanitizing UAV lands on the roof of the car to be cleaned. It opens a window or a window opens up and the sanitizing drone shoves an arm inside the vehicle, into the interior of the vehicle. Now this articulating arm could hold scrubbing pads or sanitizer dispensers or that kind of a thing. And it cleans the inside of the car. That's the patent. I don't know if this really is practical. (laughs) It just seems kind of crazy. But here's the strategy that many corporations take with regard to patents, which is that if you, if someone has an idea any kind of an idea, patent it. Because what may be 
unrealistic or a crackpot idea or something today may not be that in the future. And the other uh, strategy is that even if if you're not going to build it, maybe somebody else wants to build it. And if you have the patent, then you can license it to that other company that wants to uh, to build whatever's described in the patent. Ford has um, filed for other drone-related patents in recent years. Uh, they uh, patented some uh, vehicle-based system that helps locate the vehicle, uh, some kind of a jump start system using drones. I guess that's if you need a jump start, the drone comes and jump starts your car. I want to see that technology because if anyone tried to jump start a modern car recently, it takes about 24 hours to find where the battery is. <laughs> I can't wait to see a drone do that. I know. They've also patented an air to ground last mile delivery system. So Ford has patented the other, uh, other drone ideas. And I guess this is a, a more recent one. The patent serial number is 0249722 if you want to look that up and see what Ford has to say about this. The vehicle-based unit that helps locate the vehicle. I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting, Max. Does, does that mean when you go out to your parking lot and you're trying to use the button and and find where your car is, does this mean you hit the button and the drone pops up with some flares and stuff, and that way you can find your car? It, it I haven't might, quite understood that concept. You might do that, or, or it might fly over to where you are and lead you back to where the car is. Oh, there that yeah okay. So we're we're not in case the it's this isn't in case the car gets stolen. Uh, I don't think so. But hey, if it helps you locate the the vehicle in a part in a huge parking lot, I think it might work if it was stolen. Also, there you go. <laughs> so so the so the drone flies home and and you've successfully found your car. All right, now to something more real. You know, we spent last week ta- on airplane geeks talking about vaporware. So. Revealed technology and teal drones demonstrate multi-mapping to U.S. military. So if one drone is a good mapper, two drones are even better. Here we have another teaming up of Reveal technology and teal drones. And Reveal has the mapping software. Teal has the drones. And the idea is conceptually pretty simple, which is to automatically combine the imagery from a number of drones, right? Like like you said, David, don't just collect imagery from one drone, but uh, combine them with multiple drones. That way, maps and analytics can be created faster. Reveal's mapping software is called Farsight. And apparently, this has been successfully demonstrated to the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. Uh, military tactical teams need accurate maps quickly. So if you got a bunch of drones providing real-time imagery to make a map in a special operations case, that, that could be invaluable. But again, this is all part of that technology where drones are working together as a force multiplier. So Teal's design is a four-ship multi-drone system, and it's really designed for defense, government, and public safety markets. And Teal's quadcopter is called Golden Eagle. And uh, the the article points out, interestingly, that they are mass-produced in the U.S. and they meet U.S. Department of Defense guidelines. So not made in China, I guess, is the the point of that. 
So they offer two configurations, the four ship, what they call the four ship and the four ship plus. And the plus configuration includes two extra drones and an additional linked controller. And the reason for all that is, is that if you need to hand off the four ship drone system in the middle of an operation, uh, you want to be able to do that smoothly. Uh, so if you hand it off from one operator to another, the uh, the extra hardware allows you to do that. Shippable product on hand was one of the things they said. So this is a real product that can be f- used to facilitate mapping for the U.S. U.S. government. So I- interesting, you know, swarms or drones. It's become very concrete, Max. You know, we used to talk about how cool it was that two drones could operate together. And now we just sort of deal with, ah, it's four, eight, 16, you know, it it doesn't matter. So things have moved along. And we do have a video that we'll have in the show notes. You can check that out. That shows the, or provides some more information about the teal drones and the swarming and this test flight. So you can find that right at the UAVdigest.com. So our next story actually was a press release that I received in the mail, which was Florida Power and Light launches first drone for commercial use. Um, On 10 August at Florida Power and Light, home field in Palm Beach, Florida, FPL successfully conducted a first flight for their U.S. christened FPL-1. It's a pretty good-sized aircraft, fixed-wing. Florida Power and Light says that this will help them maintain the energy grid and restore power after a hurricane. So they anticipate using this to survey the damage um, to transit over areas that might otherwise be inaccessible because of high water or downed trees. The CEO of FPNL, Eric Silgay, said that as soon as the storm passes, while it's still a tropical storm, though, we'll be able to launch FPL Air 1 and get eyes on before the storm even leaves the state so we can deploy our assets even faster and get the right assets to the right spot the first time. This makes a lot of sense to me, David. I mean, this thing has got a range of about 1,000 miles. It can fly for 22 hours without needing to stop and, and refuel, so they can cover a lot of territory with just one of these things. Like you said, Max, this is, this is an aircraft. The pictures of it look like it's the size of, like, say, a small Piper airplane or a small Cessna. So it is a sizable UAS, and it's going to carry LIDAR. So definitely a rapid reaction in, in, a, in a year where we're supposed to have larger-than-normal storms on the Atlantic coast and the Gulf coast. So... Florida is being proactive, and um, it'll be interesting to see if they move on to more than one of these aircraft. And FBL has a lot of experience with drones. It's uh, it's used them operationally since 2016, and they say last year, 2021, they conducted 120,000 drone flights. Again, that's last year. So uh, they're not of this drone, smaller drones. So this FBL Air 1 is, uh, of course, much larger. The question I had, David, and I couldn't find an answer to this, is who designed this and who built this? I mean, I I doubt the power company actually designed an aircraft and actually built one. So somebody must have done that for them, but I searched all over, and and I couldn't find who built this thing. 
wasn't it NASC? Was it? Yeah. Ah, yes. Right you are, David. So if you go to NASC.com, NAVMAR Applied Sciences Corporation, there's a picture of it. Or one that looks very, very similar. In fact, actually, this one uh, is, the, uh, is the Tracer, which was unveiled at AUVSI Exponential this year, 2022. This one uh, is jet-powered, though. I see a small jet engine on the tail, it's probably got one on each side, but the configure or the the general design of of this aircraft looks the same as what the uh, Florida Power Company is using. So maybe we need to reach out to Navmar Applied Sciences and get someone aboard to talk about their UAS programs. Yeah, for as sure. As a guest. All so right. So if you're out there and you hurt and you want to chat with us, let us know through our website. So one last thing, Max, you like podcasts, right? Yes. Well, I found a podcast called Tones and Drones. Huh. You can listen to a podcast about drones making music. No. Is that what this is? Yes. Hence the name Tones and Drones. Drones, yep. As NPR says, the podcast includes conversational style interviews with musicians whose work within the realm of ambient drone space and new age music hosted by Jason M. Miller. Ambient musician and radio producer, the podcast is produced in the studios of 93.1 KVLU Public Radio. And you can, so we'll have a link to the show notes, but you can listen to Tones and Drones. I thought that was kind of a unique podcast. It's long, too. It, uh, well, the most recent episode, as I'm looking at this, is an hour and 49 minutes. But it looks like generally they're around an hour, hour and a half. They vary a lot. Hmm. Well, I'll have to give it a listen. So. That's a good find. With that, Max, should we wrap this up? Let's do that, David. We want to thank all of you for listening to the UAV Digest. This is episode 410. You can find us at theuavdigest.com. And, of course, you can find Max and I on all of the social media platforms, especially if you want to get a hold of us, get a hold of us via LinkedIn, uh, Max Flight or David Vanderhoof. Um, and, of course, you can always join our Slack listener team, and you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the UAVdigest.com. And um, check out Airplane Geeks if you haven't done that. Um, we've had a lot of good interesting um, interviews recently with some guests and definitely take some time and hear how the rest of the aviation world works. So with that, I'm going to say this is David in Delhi and Max in Connecticut. Thanks for listening.